Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, I want to welcome everybody to today's podcast interview. Okay, so this is a first for me. I am sitting here live, human to human, with my two amazing guests. There, um, I've known Barbara for many years. She's actually one of my dearest friends, and her husband Gary too. <laughs> and um, they are service missionaries for the Addiction Recovery Program for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I serve as a service missionary for the support group. And these two programs are so incredible. And I feel like we don't shine enough light on what they can do for our loved ones and for our own lives. We all have struggles. We all have things going on that we all could use help with. And um, so I thought today we would sit down with Barbara and Gary and they can share with us some of the insights, thoughts, and feelings that have come through the last six years of them serving as service missionaries for the Addiction Recovery Program. So, Gary and Barbara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> okay, now I got their permission, so when I say this next thing to all of you that are listening, don't gasp and fear. But Gar- Gary and Barbara are 81 and 80. So if you ever feel like you want to give up, forget about it. okay so the first thing is why don't the two of you share a little bit about your lives that kind of has helped prepare you to serve as service missionaries for the addiction recovery program like what are some things in your life through leadership through experiences that have helped you in preparation for this calling for this mission so Barbara, do you want to start? <laughs> um, first of all, I think just being a mother and being a daughter and being a sister, uh, that always helps. Um, it teaches you to give service for those that are in your family and it teaches you to love deeply. Uh, when I joined the church, um, I was the type of person that left to be a helper, not a leader. I was there to help the leader in any way I could. And I found out that it was a little bit different because I have been in five Relief Society presidencies, I've been in two primary presidencies, and I've been young women's president, and both Gary and I, besides this service mission, have been advisors in the young single adults. And that took leadership and it also took an understanding of the true love that people have that you work with and they teach you so much. Mm-hmm. And I would say that uh, has been the most important things in my life. It, um, it has taught me to loving your family and um, being able to be a leader and not just a follower, although that's important to be able to follow. Also being a leader teaches you to love others. Yeah, I agree. Gary, what about you? <clears throat> well, I was first born in my family and I'm one of five. And I've always had the responsibility as a young man or child taking care of them. And it seems like the things that I've done in life have always pushed me into a sub, I would call it, leadership position in jobs and in school and in recreation and in time off or the things we would do in Little League Well, I'd wind up being a leadership position there and throughout the church. You know, I've been a member of the church for 50 years, and it seems like I always wind up in a sub or leadership position. Not by my choice, but 
that's just the way it seems to happen. I think that's Heavenly Father probably preparing me for being me and who I am. It's not something I aspire to do or want to do, but it's who we are. We're all individuals and I try to be happy with who I am. Yeah. Um, I want to ask the two of you, did you, when you were serving in these different capacities, had you ever heard of the addiction recovery program? Had anyone mentioned it to you in like a Relief Society or a bishopric or? I've been a member of the church for 50 years and I would say for the first 30, 35 years, I didn't know the program. I served as a bishop at one time and that's when I began to find out about the program, and that was in the 80s, is when I heard about there was a issue within the church on addictions, and they were going towards or leaning towards or developing this program, and that's the first that I'd heard about it, but as far as knowing about it, I didn't. Did they share it with you so that you could encourage members in the congregation to go? Or did they just share it as more of an information? It was in infancy state and wasn't even that, that well known about it, that much known about it during that time. Wow. Barbara, did you ever hear about it? No, I never, never even knew it existed until we were called to, uh, to lead this program. And at that time, it was a very scary thing because we felt we were so inadequate. And um, because what an important thing to be asked to do. And um, we felt not only inadequacy, but responsibility in somebody else's life. Yeah. And so now that was the very first time. When I first recognized the program I read about it in the bulletin and that was some years ago before being called this and I thought addiction recovery real program hmm what's that who has a problem with that didn't think that much about it and especially in a church that wasn't an issue that's what I thought at that time at that time so were the two of you serving as single adult advisors before you received this mission service mission call? Yes. Okay, so share how it came about. Did the stake president say he wanted to talk to you, or how did it come about that you received this call? This calling we're in now? Yep, service missionary. The stake president called and wanted to make an appointment with us. And we had something going with family, and we told him we couldn't meet that week. And then they called back, the executive secretary called back a week or two later and said they wanted to meet with us, and we couldn't meet with him at that time. <laughs> so the third time they called, the state president himself called and said, I promise you I'm not calling you on a mission. Will you please come <laughs> in and talk to us, to me? <laughs> What he Did said. the two of you think he was going to call you to serve a mission? Uh, we didn't. Well, at our age and everything, I kind of anticipated yeah. that we were going to be called on a mission, you know, where you go to yeah, yeah, yeah. other states or countries or something. And with our family, I didn't really want to leave, you know, spend all my life. And now I've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and want to be around to be a part of their life. So he promised he would come. So he called us on this. <laughs> that's did true. I cover? <laughs> yeah, that's true. How did you feel when he said this to you? I mean, you shared Barbara that you were inadequate. like overwhelming, feeling yes. inadequate. We didn't know what we were going to do. We thought, how can we do this? So we asked if we could just go to one of the meetings to see if we could even do it. Because what experience would we have and? we were a little bit frightened, you know, of having to take on something that maybe we would not make the difference in somebody's life that we needed to. So did we, we went, go ahead. We went to the first meeting and the 
brother and sister that we were taking their place. <laughs> that were leading the <laughs> they were leading class at that the time. The class, they gave us the books. We, we saw the class, they gave us the books and says, well, we're going out of town and we know you'll do a good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was your so, introduction. Okay. <laughs> yes. Did the feeling of inadequacy, has it ever left you? For me, I don't think it really has. You feel inadequate all the time. I'm more comfortable with it. I have learned so much from the program. I've learned so much from those people that are involved in the program. You know, um, never feel qualified, but feel more qualified and more at ease with where we're at today, for me. Yes. You feel yes. the same way? And mainly it's because... <laughs> the people that come are so so loving and so non-judgmental and um, you you just really care about them they're beautiful human mm -hmm. beings huh? yeah they make it easy they make it easy well they help each other so much we really don't do anything other than just lead it and those people that come teach us a lot and mm -hmm they help each other so much. And I also think that when they come and help others, it keeps them going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one of the steps, service. And being in service of your fellow man, you're in the service of who? Your God. God. Well, and I have to <clears throat> say, because I've, I've been only serving for two years, but I feel like it's the most spiritual calling I've been in. Oh, it's, yes. it's a weekly spiritual experience I agree. amplified yes it's 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 really incredible okay so if somebody um were to show up at this addiction recovery meeting kind of share with everybody what what it would look like like what's the format um and then just go kind of share after you share what the, it would look like if they came what are the 12 steps and then we'll do, we can just talk about those as we go down with them. So, Barbara, do you want to share? Okay. Um, when they come in, we, of course, start with a prayer. And we read a disclaimer at the beginning of the class and at the end of the class. And that just lets them know that different things that have been said in the class is not necessarily the beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because everybody's very honest and things are said and it's usually very, very beautiful and um, wonderful, but the disclaimer is read. Then we read the 12 steps, each one taking their turn, uh, unless they they choose to pass, and if they choose to pass, then the next one just takes over. And we go around the room, each reading the 12 steps, and then we have a video, and um, there are 12 lessons, or 12 steps, and there's a video that is by a, a, a real person that is a member of the church that has gone through their addiction. Um, it's a different one each week until we get through all 12. And um, they're very touching, very loving, and very successful because the people in the video succeed. Um, then we read the step that we're on. And there again, uh, one or two paragraphs, everyone takes their turn if they choose. Um, then we go through the action steps, and of course that's exactly what it means, what we can do to take action to help ourselves. Uh, there is a study and understanding section after all of this, but that is done by the individual at home on their own. And um, of course then we have uh, the last disclaimer and the closing prayer. Gary, do you have anything to add to that? The only thing I would say in that, everybody needs to be reassured that anonymity is so very, very important there, and we read in there. 
who you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. And that is proven out to be the case, I would say over six years, because I've never heard about anybody that has talked about anything that's happened in that class ever. anywhere, ever. One of the things that we also do is introduce ourselves by first name only. Yes. What do you think, I know this wasn't a question that I gave you guys, but a thought. What do you think it is that makes people not come? I mean, I know that there can, I mean, I could ask the same question for the support group. Why don't people come? Because we've talked about this before i feel that all of us on some level is affected by addiction or compulsive behaviors either with ourselves, with our loved ones with our siblings with our parents with our friends members we serve with at, at in the ward buildings so why do you think people don't come to addiction recovery in classes? my in my opinion the reason when i was taking the lessons and going to join the church I didn't want to go in there because it was unknown, it was uncomfortable, it's all strange, and who are these people? And once I got in there and found out things are different, and I think the same thing applies to this program. People need to come, they want to come, but they don't have the courage to come. And I've heard of a person who was a good friend of mine that said, I've had an addiction for years and I came to the meeting three times without getting out of my car and going into the meeting before I got the courage to go through that door and to go in there. And he said, I have reached a point now in my life, I come right out and say, I'm an addict and I still am today and I'm still working on it. And this program and serving and doing it gives me strength to not only resist but abstain from my addiction. And he said, it is so comfortable. I don't know why more people don't come. Don't come. Mm -hmm. And I think once people do come, they find out it isn't what they really thought. And we've had people in the class say that they feel the spirit more there with each other than they do in the temple. And that's saying a lot. So, and time after time, I've been in many sacrament meetings that I didn't feel the spirit as strong as I feel when we have this class. Well, and Gary, Barbara, I want to ask you that too, but before, when we were talking on the front of the book, you had shared um, something of, of, it's it's a guide to addiction um, yeah. recovery program, but... The church developed the addiction recovery program, and I think it needs to be on the atonement. Uh, more people have, or a lot of people have said it's more like the atonement. It's on the atonement of Jesus Christ. And my friend that I was talking to was telling me I had trouble going. And he said the same thing. And somebody said in one of our meetings it should be called the Atonement Reality Program. <laughs> yes. It, it really is. I thought being a member for the number of years I have before I got this calling, I kind of understood the atonement but not to the fullest ex full extent that I feel it today because of this program and what I have learned about the atonement of Jesus Christ and how it applies in everyday life. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Barbara, do you have any thoughts of why you think people are apprehensive about coming? I, I think one of the things, and I think Gary mentioned this, they come and it's hard to get out of that car, but not only because they do, the unknown and the confidentiality of it, but also there's another car here. Will they see me when I walk through the door and will they know I'm going into the class? Um, lots of times people don't even know. They don't know what's going on in there. It could be any type of class, but if that keeps them from coming in, it's important to that person. You know, there might be someone that had something to get at the library, they go in, they walk back there, they see somebody, oh, hi, and they don't even realize that this class is going on, and if it did, they wouldn't even know what it was. We have ARP on the sign, 
And so that kind of ARP, nobody even thinks softens, anything. It softens, it softens the what it is. Addiction. And <laughs> I, I believe that. But I, I think lots of times when we're worried about something, we're the one that's worried, not the people that might see us or they're not even thinking. We all think are thinking different things, you know, when we're going about our different duties of the day. Yeah. If someone goes in the church, they're not saying, oh, he's here. Is he here to see the bishop? Is he here to see, you know, why is he here? No, we, we don't even think that. But when you're the one that's going to that class, you do have that. It, it, you're scared. You're you're uncomfortable, and um, once you get over that, the people that come to our class they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They just want to <laughs> go, and they'll even we have we have had someone say saw someone and they said, oh yeah, I want to talk to you. I'll be out of here, and I've got this class, and then I'll be out in about an hour, and I'll talk to you. So it depends on the person. It also depends on once you become comfortable. But in the beginning, yes. It's getting through that door. It's getting through that Don't door. Don't you think? I, yeah. I feel like with the support group, when a new woman shows up, because ours is only men, ours is only women. Your addiction recovery is both men and women, but ours is only women. And I notice it's literally that first initial walk to come to that door. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you, as we're instructed, say their name, welcome, or what's your name, or we're so glad you're here. There's so much power behind that. There is. Well, I think one thing that helps people too, if they get through the door and get in the class and sit down, if they've been there for the first time, normally, not always, but one of the other people that have been attending the class will get up and follow the person out. And then they're standing out there on the step or away by their car, visiting with each other and talking. And there comes a real support and help, I think. They've made a friend, a friend that understands where they're coming Come from. from. A friend that's been through all the garbage in their life that they're going through and that's what happens, or I notice that happening a lot. I do too. I do too. Okay, so you, Barbara, you kind of shared what it would look like if they came to the class, or you know, if you're listening and you have someone in your life that could really use it. Each week is dedicated to a step. So for me in the support group, we're dedicated to one principle a week. There's 12 principles, but with the addiction recovery program, there's 12 steps. Now the church, hand in hand with Alcoholics Anonymous, so AA, they have worked directly with them in regards to this addiction recovery program in the church. So why don't we just talk about the steps, the 12 steps, and then just share any insight that comes to you from a video or an experience that you know you felt as we had these and so starting with the first one Gary do you want to um, <clears throat> the 12 steps the LDS services the LDS family services the 12 steps step one is on honesty and admit that you of yourself are powerless to overcome your addiction and your life has become unmanageable why do you think <clears throat> that honesty is that first step well I think it is because that is what makes you walk through those doors. You're being honest with yourself that you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. um, any type of addiction any of us have, even if it's with sugar, we can even be to the point that if no one's in the kitchen, go to the door of one of the cupboards, open it up and grab some candy or a cookie and eat it so nobody sees us eat it. And how ridiculous is that? But probably everybody has done it once in their life. And it's, you're, you aren't honest with yourself that you've got a problem and you don't really want to admit to anybody else that you do. And so that first step of being honest that, okay, I am admitting that I have a problem 
And that's what it says that admit that you of yourself are powerless. And so you need to find a higher person to help you. And that would be our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I think honesty comes as number one because the first person you have to be honest with is yourself. And you gotta be honest with yourself so you can be honest with other people, you know. And so I think it's very important that you face up and be honest with who you are and what your issue really is. And speaking of that with issues, before we go to the next step, both of you had shared in the addiction recovery manual the the reasons why somebody would come, like the list of addictions. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read that, uh, Gary? <clears throat> Whatever your addiction has been to alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography, self-deception, eating patterns, compulsive spending, or another behavior or substance that represents your need to run and hide from stress or challenges in life, and I would add smoking and lying. So whatever your addiction is, this is here to help you help yourself. Yeah. It's not just alcohol or prescription drugs. No. It covers everything. Everything. We've had people come to the class then, you know, um, they didn't stay for all 12 steps, but he said, I've got a real addiction to football. He said, I absolutely let that control my life when it's football season especially so so if you're taking time away from your family your work and your duties as a person because football comes first there's really uh you You've got an addiction. You've got an addiction, and it's amazing. I don't know that that would be why somebody would come to the class, but it is right. It is a realization that there are many addictions out there, and it just helps us to understand that no one is alone. Mm -mm. No. Okay, step two. I think before I go into that, you know... Addiction, family members of people that are addicted are very, very important because we've talked to people that even want to come to the class, but they got family members who don't want them to come to the class. Yes. And we've got other people who come to the class because their family has confronted them and told them they got an issue too. So, you know, those things. But step two. Yeah. Step two is hope. Come to believe that the power of God can restore you to complete spiritual health. Spiritual. Emphasize. Thoughts about that, Barbara? Um, the, the one thing that everybody has to find out is that you cannot do this alone. Our, our Heavenly Father and our Jesus Christ is what helps us through everything, whether it's an addiction or what, whatever problem or um, sad thing we have in our life. And so uh, that, is, that is why the spiritual health part of it is very important. Mm -hmm. Well, this program is for members and non-members alike, uh, disfellowship people, excommunicated people, whatever has taken place in your life. And I think that the hope that they can get better definitely is something that helps them improve their life or it gives them hope. You know, everybody has the light of Christ within them. And so that is the spirit that helps them anyway. And gives them that hope. Yeah. Okay, number three. 
trusting God, decide to turn your will and your life over to the care of God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. How do you think that that has been for those that come trusting? Because don't you think the patterns of their lives, I notice that those that come to support is there's a real lack of trust because it's been broken so many times in their lives. So how? what are your thoughts about trust in God for those that are struggling from addiction? You've got to have a trust or a belief in something. You know, and we call it God. It could be a higher power, if you want to call it that, or whatever it is. But that gives you the, or to me, the realization you're not in it alone. Uh, God and Jesus Christ are there to help you, help you get through the different trials in your life. Not only addiction, but many other things that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, trust is so important to all of us. One of the things a child always, or we hope always, they trust their parents. parents. Mm -hmm. And if they go to school, or if they go to church, or if they go out and play with friends, they usually are so open to everything because they have learned trust. Mm. And then something happens that discourages it and it, it's a rude awakening to them. And that's why, as adults, we have, we have a problem with trust. And then when we go through what we do, if we have an addiction, that's why we cover with lying. And that's why we are not honest. And therefore, we're not honest, we're not trustful. How do we trust others? Yeah. And I think that that, and I never looked at it that way before. Before this class, I never looked at it that way. But I see the connection there. How can you trust when you've become dishonest? Right. And so somewhere, there has to be a recognizing that, oh, yeah, there has to be something done with me. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's, these two things connect. Definitely. Were you going to say anything, Gary? No. no. Do you want to say number four? Number four, step four, is truth. Make a searching and fearless written moral inventory of yourself. And this is a tough step you go through to put in hard copy those things in your life that have contributed to your addiction and to be able to forgive yourself and forgive others. You first gotta forgive yourself. I've learned to forgive others this step is that step that helps you do that and you go through and it's a it's a longer step than the other steps but it's very important to be truthful with number one uno first and then you can begin to be truthful with everything else in your life yeah do you notice that some of these steps are more of a struggle for those that come or do you feel like it's all pretty um, balanced in the sense of yeah I, I think we're all individuals and we need to realize that we need to like ourselves but there's one of these steps that might be harder for me to overcome than another one in my case it was harder to overcome some of them than others and that's very definitely definitely with other people they have we're all individuals. They have tougher times with one thing, maybe hope, or then trust, or courage of heart, whatever it might be. Yeah. Barbara, do you want to do five? Certainly. Admit to yourself, to your Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, to proper priesthood authority, and to another person, the exact nature of your wrongs. And this one is on confession. 
what is it the the that you two would say in the years of your beautiful lives <laughs> what makes it hard for people to confess because I believe that when we speak the truth and honestly share what we have done whatever that is there is a healing that happens so why do you think confession is such a hard thing for people to do? I think there again, it's coming through that door of confession. You've got to come through and walk through that door and sit down and confess. And you need to confess to yourself. You need to hear yourself say what some of your shortcomings are and what those things are. And that's tough to do is to confess. What I've done that I'm not real proud of, I sure don't want to tell anybody else about you know, and I don't want to share that bad part of me with anybody else, you know, and it's tough to overcome that, to do that. But we need to realize that the Savior's right there, and if you can visualize him holding your hand and helping you through it, then it helps. Mm -hmm. it helps you come through the door to come to the class. It helps you go through that door and step into confession. Yeah. You know, I, I was just speaking to someone recently and uh, they had shared with me that they kept a deep, dark knowledge that they had for many, many months, thinking they were all alone. And then they had an opportunity, they were with somebody else, and unbeknownst to them, that person was at a place where they were ready to speak out loud about the things that they had experienced. And it gave the person that received that information the courage to say out loud what they'd been holding in for months because they felt like they were the only one with this horrible thing going on and they were so embarrassed and yes. they were ashamed. Yes. And then when somebody else said, I'm going through that too, they felt like they had been freed. That in our meeting is that's what they learn from each other and that's that support they give each, each other, other to find out that I'm not alone, and that Jesus Christ is right there if you ask for his help. Yeah, yeah. Barbara, do you want to do six? Change of heart. Become entirely ready to have God remove all your character weaknesses. Change of heart. You gotta change your heart, you know, your desire. You know, Lot's wife looked back longing for those things that she was doing not so much the just simple fact she looked back but she looked back with that longing and you got to change your heart you can't look back and long for those things you got to change your heart look forward to jesus christ the light the good yeah well, i think that uh It would be hard because you don't want to disappoint people. And um, as long as you can go through life and nobody knows and you can get by, it, but it comes a time when that doesn't work. And so something has to change. Yeah. And... Um, when you get to that point, no matter how insignificant our problem is, it's, it's up to us. The, the classes are there. <clears throat> our Savior's there. But that's when we have to change. Yeah. And I think change is so hard for people. Very much so. It is. Yeah. And the older you get, the worse it gets. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> okay, eight. Gary, do you want to? Eight. Seeking forgiveness. Make a written list of all persons you have harmed and become willing to make restitution to them. The thing that this step uh, taught me, and uh, I think it was my son that told me, you know, we're taught to forgive everybody of all things and yes you got to have forgiveness and 
and forgiving heart, but just because I forgive you doesn't mean that I have to trust you. And that was a light that come on for me because the example that was given to me was if you had an accountant that's doing your books and your taxes and taking care of everything and he's embezzling money from you, you can forgive that person and you should, but you don't have to trust that person. And I probably, if that example was in that, I probably wouldn't have that accountant doing my taxes and my book work. So I got to forgive him, but I don't have to trust him. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, yeah. Barbara, do you have anything to say about that? Um, no, that's, that is, uh, I think that's a real good example of, of it. Many times we find someone who we are afraid to trust, you know, and, um, but it's very, very important for our own ability to be happy is to forgive. Mm -hmm. It's for ourselves, mm -hmm. not necessarily the person that did us wrong. That's right. Um, uh, forgiveness is a commandment. Yeah. But trusting really isn't in that commandment. Yeah. But Gary's got to forgive. Yeah. Myself and everybody, everybody else. Everybody else, yeah. <laughs> okay, Barbara was so quick. She <laughs> she used her fingers to notify me. You guys can't see this, but I missed seven. <laughs> do you want to do seven? Sure. That's on humility. Humbly ask Heavenly Father to remove your shortcomings. And, um, yeah, that's that's a hard one, too. Because um, it it's as if we're just taking everything off. We're admitting all these things. We are not perfect. And the more things that we admit and it's and it is brings out hum, uh, humility that, um, it just brings us to a point in life where we feel naked and exposed, and exposed for sure. Yeah. And I think with us, you know, being mortal, right? It's very hard to be humble because our ego, our pride, it all gets in the way of humility. So I think it's a huge step. And pride is the number one thing to overcome in people's lives, or has been for me anyway. Yeah, me so. too. Well, us kids were taught to be prideful. I can remember Dad saying, be proud of the name you carry, or you better be, you know. So, hey, I've got pride. I'm proud of who I am. I better be. Yeah. But pride can... Be your downfall. Yes. Yeah. Okay, number nine. Restitution and re re reconciliation. Wherever possible, make direct restitution to all persons you have harmed. Wow, because there are probably some people that, depending on the addiction or compulsive behavior you have, you don't even know you've hurt somebody. That's true. You know, you might be in a altered state or... That one's a tricky one. It is. And you know, one of the things that I learned that I never knew, when you apologize to somebody for something that you have done, you apologize. You do not say, but you know, you did something too. You do not say, well, it was a bad day for me and I had gotten pulled over by the police and my daughter spilled everything on the floor that morning. You don't, no, that's not an apology. Excuses and the word, but this is what happened. That is not part of an apology. An apology, whether there was some things that the other person did 
that has nothing to do with your apology. Your apology is, please forgive me. I am so sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me that I did what I did. And it needs to be simple. You are not to go over what happened step by step and give excuses. Brief and leave the word but out of there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> leave the but behind. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Okay, 10. Daily accountability. Continue to take personal inventory when you're wrong, promptly admit it. Accountability that, you know, you go through your your day because there's going to be times when you're going to slip back and do those old things that you've done, whatever they might be. And when you read your scriptures daily or say your prayers daily, there's a time to go through accountability and be accountable for those actions you've done that day and retrace them and see if there's some things you could improve or cut out. Yeah. Any thoughts, Barbara? No. I think that's good. Okay, 11. Personal revelation. Seek through prayer and meditation to know the Lord's will and to have the power to carry it out. <clears throat> I think that we don't realize as much how much personal re revelation we have the ability to have. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. And with prayer and seeking forgiveness, um, there's always a light there that we can follow. Yeah. Well, and I think too, uh, we have the tendency to believe that we're, okay, did, was that revelation? Am I being guided? And I love, I just listened to another video from Elder Bednar in a Q&A at Enzyme College, and he basically said, if you're doing good in your life, if you're trying your very best, you are living in basically revelation. You are being guided. So instead of wondering, is that revelation? Did that mean that? Like you're in there now, understand when the Spirit has withdrawn from you or when you have done something to offend the Spirit. True. Like flip it around. Like pay attention when you've done something that's, that's, that can be divisive or negative. So yeah, I think that's really good. Very good. That's right. Yeah. Okay, 12, the last step. On revelation, personal revelation, before, um, we all are entitled to revelation. And we don't believe that. I've done something wrong today, so, you know, I'm probably on the bad list and I'm being punished. That's not true. The atonement's there. Revelation, you're entitled for personal, personal revelation and revelation for your direct family, in my opinion. Yep. Wanted to add that anyway. Yep, yeah. That's great. Twelve? Mm-hmm. Service. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the atonement of Jesus Christ, share this message with others and practice these principles in all that you do. And service is very, very important, you know. I've never ever, it seems like when I go to give service and, and I want to and somebody will call up, it's always right at the time that I'm the busiest and I don't want to do it and I start making excuses of all the reasons why I can't. And then if I go ahead and do it and provide that service or do something for somebody else, I always feel lifted, enlightened, good, at peace. And I think, boy, I, I wished I would have done that sooner. And therein is service. And when I'm busy serving other people, I'm told in scriptures I'm only serving my God and that I'm not wrapped up in myself but I'm helping somebody else through their problems or doing something for them. It makes me makes me easier makes it easier for me to live with myself. Yeah. Um, and I I think it's so wonderful when you think about it. We are all individuals, and we all have different ways of serving. And that way, everything is met. 
and um, many times you you could you could think, oh, I don't know that I could do that, but I can do this, and that's what you do. You do where you can serve, and um, and you do it with joy. Mm-hmm. Service can be opening the door for somebody. Yeah, it can it's, be simple things. It, it's something you can do for your spouse. Some little thing that you normally don't do or you're not expected to do. It can be in whoever you minister to. You know, it service is there for in so many different ways if you look for ways yes. to do it and accomplish it. Just like a checker that's having a bad day and she snips you off at the counter and everything. If you can be jovial or happy in some small way to get that person to smile. Click, you've just done somebody yeah. a service. Yeah. yeah, service is definitely action. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's even in our home, we need to give service more because that is a way of showing love. Yeah, I totally agree. So share with me how serving this service mission has blessed your life. It's made me more aware of myself, and like I said in the beginning, it gave me a better understanding of the, of the atonement. And it has given me the opportunity to take daily accountability and to think about those things that I do that may be harming somebody else in some way. Because we all seem to think, you know, I got my free agency, I'm me, I can do what I want to, what I do doesn't matter to anybody else, and I'm not going to hurt anybody. But that's really not true, you know. So the program overall has really helped me analyze myself, and it has helped me to be able to forgive myself of a lot of things that I struggle with, and yet still today I struggle with some of those things, but it's easier. Yeah. After going through this program, I've got a better understanding of who Gary is and the program and who my fellow man really is and where they're coming from. And you know, it's so amazing to hear you say that at the age of 80. Well, I know more now in my life than I've ever known because of all the experiences. But the more I learn, the more I learned that I don't know very much <laughs> at all. Shoot. <laughs> okay, Barbara. Um, I think that this program has made me realize the two most important things in my life, in my uh, relationship with my Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, is number one, forgiveness how I can, if I were the only person in this world, I would still be forgiven because he died for me. Um, and then the other most important thing besides the atonement and forgiveness is gratefulness. Yeah. Um, every said, day, go ahead. I was gonna say you said that you know, and somebody told me one time, try saying a prayer without asking for anything. Just name all the things you're thankful for, and that's it. Try that. It's hard to do for me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It so be, be thankful for <laughs> yeah. it. I think thankfulness is, and so I think the two things that are my favorite things in prayer are the forgiveness that I know I can always rely on and the gratefulness that I need to express daily and not just once in prayer, but going out as an example, seeing a flat tire on your car and saying, oh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for it being in my driveway and not on the freeway. Um, I think we need to find gratefulness in everything we do. And we need to hunt for it. If we get depressed, if we get kind of um, feeling down, 
I think we need to look around and see the gratefulness in our life. The birds that are out feeding, you know, uh, anything. But at 80, um, I'm more grateful than I've ever been in life for my health and the ability to be able to walk normal and just take care of my so, basic needs. Yeah. Yeah, and we forget that. I know you guys we can't see that. these two, but they are trim, fit, and beautiful human beings. <laughs> um, now I have two more questions before we end. And is there any spiritual experiences that you can call to your memory? Uh, one, a spiritual experience that you've had while leading the addiction recovery program that you would be comfortable sharing? I'm thinking I, 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 you know, I've had several I don't know whether we can share them or not because we, in our class, there have been times when I have been weeping um, because of what has been said. And, um, and it can't be shared. That's how blessed we are. It's, it's what we heard and we can't share it, but I can just say that I can just say, and, and, and I kind of w- was thinking about this, and I thought the testimonies of those that come to our class, it's almost as if we get to witness their experience and their miracle. And it's like, I sometimes feel that, and it isn't with everyone, and it doesn't happen all the time, but when it has happened, it makes me feel how blessed I am to hear how Heavenly Father has blessed them. And then it makes you realize the blessings in your life that you might not have thought of, and especially when they happen. That's so true. I've left many a classes crying. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my car calling someone to tell them I love them or how grateful I am for them. And entering them in your prayers that night for the Spirit to be with them and to help them. But I think uh, a spiritual experience or a testimony to me too as being able to see where my life has improved because of the program and see how much it has helped other people improve in their lives and the problems or trials they're struggling with begin to fade to some degree and they begin and that's a very spiritual experience to see people improve their own lives yeah yeah um i did forget to mention one thing because each of our groups has what's called a facilitator. And so when somebody does come to an addiction recovery class or a support group, there is someone there that's a facilitator. Do you want to just touch on that just lightly? Um, what a, what a big job it is. Um, our facilitator sets the spirit, absolutely sets the spirit. If he is missing, that part of him is missing, and we all feel it. Um, His example and humble way, um, it shows his love for his Heavenly Father and for his family, and he has so many experiences And most of all, he's thankful. He's thankful for everything that's happened and what he's learned and how far he's come. And there is not a dry eye when he speaks because he just oozes the love. And spirit. And spirit. Um, We are totally 
amazed at what he has to offer. He's a spiritual giant, in my opinion. And that's... He does set the spirit yes. very much in our meetings and everything. And he is a very, very... He is the program, in my opinion. Yes. It's For us, at this time, he is the program. He's the most important. Yeah. And does a terrific job. Yeah. Well, and that kind of brings my... Uh, you know, addiction and compulsive behaviors are really a double-edged sword because there's so much pain and suffering that can go along with that addiction. But then there is this spirituality and miracle and love that come from them because of their addiction or their compulsive behavior. And I think that's what you see in facilitators. To realize that we're all God's children yep. and he loves us. And he's concerned about us, and then it makes all that easier, you know. And, you know, I I just can't see myself. Of oh yeah, that's my kid. Yeah, he's having a problem over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know, you feel for him. You or her. You strive. You do what you can to help within what you can help with, and everything else. And you know, our heavenly Father is bound by laws. He cannot break those laws in the universe. And so we are too. And to be able to do that anyway is very special. Yeah. Okay, so my last question <laughs> that I ask everybody that I interview is, how do you personally seek light? How do I personally? Seek light. personally seek light I I seek that through good and trying to surround myself with good people by doing good things and good things can involve reading the scriptures listening to good music uh, the right kind of good movie or the right reading scriptures, attending your meetings, you know, doing those things, service, you know, all those things. I don't know how. Barbara. <laughs> Do you... <laughs> Should I repeat? <laughs> Is there anything else you want to Is add to that? Is there anything else? No, I think, I think, um, one of the, one of the greatest things in seeking the light is having a um, contentment that you feel content in your life after seeking light and how do you do that everybody does it in a different different way I love when the Sun is out or even if it's a nice later evening to be able to sit out on the deck and just listen to music or not even that just to look around at the beauty i think also service as gary answered you know he also said prayer and and all goodness but i think that being content with the people you're around and that is surrounding yourself with good people and loving your family and loving your Heavenly Father, and being happy with your life. And to be happy with your life, you've got to recognize the good. And be See, at peace. Yes. Be at peace. Yes. There's one of the videos. She says, I don't walk around happy all day, but I do have peace of mind. Yeah. And when you have that peace, that lets the light in. Mm -hmm. There it comes. Yeah the harmony, the beauty in all things. And I think people need to realize you don't have to have a perfect life, you don't have to have perfect children, and you don't have to be rich, and you don't, you, but you do need to recognize the good. Because the good is what makes you thankful. Every human being born is born with the light of Christ. 
And we need to recognize that within ourselves and let more light in all the time by doing, like I said, those things. Yeah, because more light illuminates mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and other people can feel it. The scriptures say man was created that he might have joy. And to have joy, you've got to have peace of mind. So you've got to be at peace with who you are, what you're trying to do, and what your goals are down the road. Yeah. Well, you two, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this interview. And thank you. I don't think enough people understand the beauty of these two amazing programs. Oh, for sure. And um, I think just being able to share this is going to be so helpful for so many people that can have a better understanding of what it is and know that it's a resource for them in their lives. And I don't think that I would have ever got involved if I hadn't been assigned this assignment, but to be able to understand this program and to what it can do and what it can help so many people in so many different ways. You know, I've seen it in the Bolton. Yep, there's addiction recovery program, but I wouldn't have ever, ever dove into it or tried to find out about it. And it's such a great program and it helps so many people with their lives. It's just phenomenal. Yeah, there just isn't enough people that know about it. Yeah. And so they do not come. Our classes are small. Um, not that the one isn't important because the one is and it doesn't make any difference but there is help in this program and people need to come if they need it yeah thank you thank you thank you I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.